It is good to be in God's house. Let's start with our scripture. We're in Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 15. Follow along with me. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And now verse 37. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Join me in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, thank you for your scripture. Lord, open our minds and hearts today as we study your word, as we hear you, that you would speak to us truth and what we need to hear and what we need to know. We thank you for your word, Lord, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was reading that again, it was striking to me, this is just a uh, this is extra, no extra charge for this one. That the non-Christian or the non-Jewish, the non-followers of Christ saw the truth. Here the wife of Pilate was impressed that the man was innocent and that she didn't want her husband to have anything to do with it. And even the husband, Pilate, said, what has he done? And it is God's people that cried out, give us Barabbas, take Jesus and crucify him. And I think there's something for us to ponder there how really it's true. Many times the world, as we'll say, the non-Christians can see things that we become blinded to. They, they can see error in our lives that we have we have uh, started letting seep in and become normal. And so we, we need a fresh view. We need a new response to Jesus Christ regularly. As we're looking at Jesus today, we've been studying different aspects of him as we move towards Easter. 
Last week we talked about why he was silent and didn't respond to his accusers and that it was for our sake, for our benefit, because had he spoken, had he gotten himself uh, absolved of the charges, he wouldn't have been crucified, which we needed for our sake. So he was willing to be silent, to be falsely accused, to be put to death so that we might have life. Today we're looking at how Jesus was counted as a rebel, or in our today's scripture it refers to him as a transgressor. And Jesus regularly got in trouble with the people, with the Jewish leaders, with the leaders of the church especially, because he did consort with those that they felt were not worthy of uh, having time spent with them. Jesus would be with the publican and the sinner, the downtrodden, those who were oppressed, those who uh, were seen as sinful people and is not worth uh, even spending any time, not worth salvation. And that put him at odds with the spiritual leaders of the day because he would do that. And in that way, he was a rebel. And if we understand some of the history, it's easy for us to see where they were coming from. Starting around 600 B.C. approximately, the Jews, the Jewish nation, had come under domination by other empires. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in, took over the northern kingdom and carried them away into exile. After Babylon... Uh, the Medo-Persians defeated Babylon. After, after the Medo-Persians came the Greeks, became the domineering, the empire. And after the Greeks came the Romans. And it was the Romans at the time of Jesus that were uh, dominating and, and, and controlling the area. So for some 600 years, the Israelites had been under control, under dominion by another empire. And that's a long time. It, uh, it's hard sometimes for us to think about that. When years ago, Sue and I took a tour uh, of England with a choir, and the lady that was our tour guide, uh, mother had grown up in France. And she made the comment how we Americans can consider something 115 years old as an old building. And she remarked how her mother's house was 400 years old. And it does put a perspective on that as we think of some of these buildings around us that have, 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 are maybe 200 years old, how young that is in other cultures. And here... We have been a country just a little over 200 years, but the Israelites were in domination by some other empire for over 600 years. So it's easy to see that they would have wanted to be freed of that control of those other nations. It's easy to understand that they would have wanted some king to come riding in to muster the troops and drive out the Romans in this case. They were tired of being under subjection to somebody else and especially 
to pagan people uh, as they would have seen them. And so when Jesus came, there were really two dominations of the people. There was one in the, in the time of Jesus, there was the Roman Empire, the last of, of, of all those I listed. And the people were very concerned about that and they wanted to be free from their rule. They wanted to rule their own land, understandably. But there was another slavery that they had succumbed to and that was the slavery of their sin nature. And so when God is deciding what was most important, He knew their slavery to the sin nature was what was going to cause them eternal death. Dominion by another country, another empire, made life difficult, made life hard, made, uh, made it uh, just uh, unbearable sometimes, but it had no impact on their eternal life. God was concerned with their soul, their spirit, their slavery. And one time He told them, that they were enslaved and they protested, we're not enslaved, we haven't been enslaved by anyone. And Jesus pointed out they were enslaved to their sin nature. And so we, we have this difference of view, this difference of opinion, this difference of focus between God's people and God. And we struggle with that today. We'll have something going on in our life that is just so burdensome, so big in our eyes that we want resolved immediately. And it seems like God is not acting. He's not working. He's not dealing on our behalf. And it may be that God is more concerned with, the, and I know He's more concerned with the spiritual state of our soul. He's more interested. Are we growing in faith? Are we learning to trust in Him? Have we accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah? Have we let Him be Lord of our life? And so we have this difference of viewpoint. God's still uh, concerned with our eternality, our eternal life, that we would have life, that would be with Him for eternity. We're concerned with whether we can get gas in the car. And I understand that. I've walked a few times because I've let that little needle get down too low. And I know what it's like to be without gas and to not be able to afford gas. But that is a momentary situation and God is concerned with our soul and spirit. So when Jesus came, not as a crusading Savior that drove out the, the bad guys, a lot of the people turned against him for that. They wanted something different, and they weren't interested in what Jesus had to come had had come to offer. And so, in that way, he was a rebel. In that way, he because he went against what the people wanted, and he was more concerned with their salvation. And so, we have this this uh, struggle set up here of what the people were looking for and what Jesus was offering. And God, of course, in His infinite wisdom, knows more what we need. He can take care of those situations in our life. He wants us to 
learn to trust him. And we need to realize that the reason the Jewish nation had been under domination by all these different empires was because of their sin, because they had refused to follow God. God had brought them out of Egypt. He had given them the land of Canaan. He had blessed them time and again. He had rescued them from oppressor after oppressor. But they would always turn back to their sinful nature. And God sent prophets to warn them and he, he warned them of what was coming. He warned them that they would be carried into exile, but still the people followed their selfish interest, their sinful interest. And so where they were was due to their actions, to their refusal to follow God as their Savior. And so God, when He came, came to deal with that core reason of why they were in domination by an empire and that they were dominated by their sin. He came to take care of the real issue. The other things could be resolved through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we have that, but our, our sermon, our series title is Against All Odds. And who would think that when God came, the Savior came, that He would be seen as a transgressor or as a rebel. That is against the odds. None of us would expect that, but that's how Jesus came. And in the Scripture that we read, there were two criminals there before Pilate. One of them was Jesus. He was accused as a criminal. He was accused of insurrection against the Roman government. And then you had Barabbas, Barabbas was a known insurrectionist. He, he and his followers had killed Romans and had killed people in this move to free, uh, to free the Jewish land. And so you have the, have one, an innocent who is accused. And then you have Barabbas who was a known criminal. And Pilate, it says at the time of the feast, which was the Passover feast at this time of year, it was traditional to release one prisoner. So he thought surely they would say, release Jesus and keep Barabbas. But they'd been stoked by the spiritual leaders to call for Jesus' crucifixion. They hated him that much that they wanted Jesus dead. And so they released a known hardened criminal, a murderer, and kept Jesus. And then when Pilate said, what do I do with him? They wanted him crucified. That is the most humiliating way to die, especially for a Jew, is to be suspended. Of course, the cross to a Jew didn't really mean anything. It was just a means to an end. For us, it's, a, it's more meaningful in its symbolism. But Jesus was hung on that cross. He was treated as a criminal, and He was surrounded with criminals. There was one on either side. And once again, we see the difference in viewpoint and, and how one see one criminal cries out and says, hey, if you're the Son of God, just smite everybody and take us off this cross. The other one, though, saw that He was an innocent man 
and said, don't you realize we're dying because we committed crimes. We deserve what we're getting. This man is innocent. He does not deserve to die. So Jesus was placed in this circle of transgressors, in this circle of criminals, and he was treated like a criminal, and he was beaten and and tortured and then hung on the cross. So why would God allow Jesus to do that? One reason, because he wasn't. He was innocent, and it pointed out the, 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 just the wrong thinking, the wrong action, the wrong way of how they were treating him. He wasn't a criminal. He was killed as an innocent man. And then he was also allowed to die on the cross because we are those criminals. We are the ones deserving of death. Not that we lived at that time and had killed anybody or robbed uh, the tax collector or anything like that. Again, Jesus, God is looking at our soul condition. And our soul condition is that we reject Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and that is worthy of death, of that punishment. So we are the ones that are guilty. And God wanted us to know that no matter how low we go, Jesus went lower. Ephesians 4 tells us that Jesus descended into the depths, starting at verse 7 of chapter 4. It says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When He ascended on high... He left captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended <coughs> excuse me, higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, at that time... The earthly regions, is another word for that, the old Hebrew word is Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. People in the Old Testament, when if they were righteous, couldn't go to heaven because Jesus hadn't atoned for their sin. That was a requirement of entering into heaven. Your sins have to be atoned for. You have to receive that redemption on behalf of Jesus, given by behalf of Jesus on your part. So they were waiting in the earthly regions, the righteous were. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, He descended into the earthly region, and all of those who had lived for God over all those thousands of years from Adam until the time of Jesus were now redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and he ascended with them, leading captives in his train. But Jesus descended into death, into the earthly regions, as our Scripture said, on your behalf. He went lower than any of us have ever had to go because he proceeded into death. Jesus took 
that descent, and it was a great descent. If we'll look in Philippians chapter 2, it outlines to us his descent. We're going to start reading at verse 6 down through 8. I'm going to start at 5. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taken the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Think about what his descent was, Jesus descending. He started out, and he was equal with God. He resided in heaven with God in the in in that place he emptied himself of most of his divinity as he became human as he took on human form he lost uh, his uh, he gave up his ability to be everywhere at once he was finite in his uh, person then as a human, he, he gave up some of his divinity, so he left the realms of heaven. He lost some of his divinity by choice. He took on human form. That's kind of an insult to us, but he did descend. He, instead of being the eternal almighty God who uh, was everywhere at once and every when at once, he became a human in human form, and he suffered the indignities that we humans suffer, the persecution, the reject, the hunger, all of the trials. He chose to take that on. He became a servant. He decided to serve us, and we have those images of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Feet that were horribly dirty. They may have had sandals. They may have been barefoot walking along the path. The dust on them and anything that was on the trail would get on their feet. That was a very humbling experience for Jesus to get down. Almighty God to get down and wash their feet. But he did that. The difference between a servant and a slave is a servant chooses to serve others, whereas a slave is forced into that. So Jesus wasn't a slave, but he was a servant. He chose to serve us, to serve those disciples, to serve those who came around. He humbled himself to criminal status. He was accused as a criminal. He was brought to trial as a criminal. He was made to stand before the Roman governor's and was accused of his crimes. And he remained silent. He chose to do that. But he was charged as a criminal. Most all of us who have lived any time of life at some point have been accused of being guilty of something we weren't guilty of. And that is probably one of the worst experiences we can have at whatever level. Just the thought that People think we're guilty of something when we know we're not, and it can be so difficult to change their minds because minds are made up. Jesus surely had to feel that same rejection 
that here he was accused of being an insurrectionist against the Roman government, of blaspheming God, so blaspheming himself, uh, which is ludicrous, of course. And he was innocent of all that, and yet he willingly accepted that. He willingly took that on. He descended even further when he became dependent or and obedient to death. Jesus could have change that. We have there in the garden where he, he asked the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He said, if, this, if it's possible that this cup could pass from me, he knew what was coming. He knew what was hap- going to happen. And in his human form, he did not want to endure that. But as God within him, he knew the need for our sakes to withstand it. And so he said, but not what I want, what is necessary, what your will is. He was obedient unto death. And then he became obedient to that death on the cross, which as I pointed out earlier, is about the most humiliating way for a Jewish person to die, for anybody to die. It's in public display. We have those accounts how he and the the criminals were on the cross and those who came to see could watch him, could stand there, could see the, the torture, could see the spear thrust in their side, could see the nails driven into their wrist and feet. It was a public spectacle of their guilt, supposed guilt in Jesus' case. And Jesus withstood that. So he descended from being in the heavenly realms, fully God, to becoming a human who is put to death by his creation unjustly. He accepted that. But come Easter what we're celebrating is that He's the resurrected resurrected Lord. As we read in Ephesians 4, He ascended, and that's the rest of our uh, verses in Philippians, starting at verse 9. Therefore, what's the therefore? It's all those things that Jesus endured Because of all that, therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." And so we have this ascension of Jesus after his obedience unto death. God lifted him up to the heavenly realms. He was resurrected. He didn't stay in the grave. He didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again. He gave him the greatest name that ever was, that of Jesus Christ, of Messiah. Jesus is that great Redeemer We have that every knee in heaven will bow. Every knee on earth is going to bow before Him. And every knee 
of those in the earthly realms, the demons that turned against God, that rejected Him, everyone is going to kneel before Jesus Christ and proclaim Him Lord. Whether they want to or not, we are all going to confess He is Lord. And every tongue will confess that Lordship. He will be exalted on high. And in the end result, the Father is glorified. And that's what we're to be about, is glorifying the Father. Taking the, taking the uh, uh, look upon ourselves, the interest upon ourselves, and doing what we do so that God is glorified. We should sing and worship to glorify God, to honor Him. The choir is rehearsing in order to present to you music that will glorify and honor God and hopefully draw each and every one of us closer to Him. Our life is to be about glorifying Him. And Jesus did that when He died on the cross. And so Jesus was counted among the transgressors, among the rebels. He descended from on high to the earthly regions below, but then He ascended back to heaven where we are told He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us on our behalf. What a glorious Savior we have that has done all this that left the splendor of heaven knowing His destiny. That, that song by the Gaither I love so much. Jesus paid it all. There's a Greek word called, it's tetelestai, and it means paid in full. And if you've ever had an invoice, maybe your house, home mortgage, or, or something else, that you made that final payment, and the debtor stamped it paid in full, you owe nothing on it anymore. That's what Jesus did on our behalf. He paid the debt in full, tetelestai. Uh, 